Okay, personal question. What is your greatest fear? Have you thought about it lately? Probably not, because who wants to sit around and think about their greatest fear? It's not exactly calming, and it probably creates anxiety, and who wants anxiety? So who's going to sit around and think about what their greatest fear is? But that's what I would like for you to do for just a moment. Think about the question, what is your greatest fear? Maybe something's come to mind, and if so, then hold on to that, because here's something else I would like for you to consider. I would like for you to consider that there is a good chance that what you think is your greatest fear is not your greatest fear at all. You could be wrong about what you think your greatest fear actually is. Um, I know that because I was wrong about my greatest fear. If you would have asked me about a year ago, hey, Trevor, what's your greatest fear? I had an answer for you. Matter of fact, it probably would have been a decently long answer. And I would have had story after story and opinion after opinion of how long I'd had this greatest fear and where this greatest fear started. And, and I, I probably even had a decent hypothesis of why I thought this became my greatest fear. But here's the thing, I turned out to be completely absolutely 100% wrong. Uh, It took a lot of hard work with a counselor to discover that what I thought was my greatest fear was not my greatest fear at all. And that's when I realized all over again that fear has a way of fooling us. Uh, Fear had fooled me. Perhaps fear is fooling you. On one hand, uh, you may think you have a greatest fear, but the reality is that what you think is your greatest fear is not your greatest fear at all. I wonder if this is why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. We talked about that this week on the Creek Midweek, and if you haven't checked out the Creek Midweek, I would encourage you to make sure that you do. And you can even do that later on today because the videos are still there. But in Psalm 139, the psalmist said, God, help me to know my anxious thoughts, because sometimes we don't even know where our fears are coming from. We don't even know what our fears are at times. And so the psalmist said, God, you're going to have to show me because sometimes fear, it fools me. On the other hand, maybe you think you have no fear. And you sit there and you think about the question, you know, what is my greatest fear? And you you said to yourself, I don't have any fear. I'm just not the fearful type. And so, you know, fear has fooled you into believing that you have no fear. But yet the reality is you spend so much of your life responding out of fear in ways that you're not even aware of. Uh, You think that anger is your problem when it's not anger, it's fear. Um, Some of you, you think that follow through, you know, actually finishing what you start, you you think that follow through is your problem, but it's actually fear. Uh, Some of you think you have a relationship or intimacy problem and, and you think it's the other person or you think it's this or that, but it's actually fear. Um, you admit, hey, I'm not good at change. That's just not my personality. But behind that not being good at change, the problem is not that. The problem is fear. Fear can be your worst enemy. Fear can be my worst enemy. And at times in our lives, we're not even aware that it's our worst enemy. And the thing about fear is it's paralyzing, it's crippling, it's disorienting. Um, Here's how horrible fear is. It shrinks faith, it deadens joy, it eclipses hope, and it swallows up love. All the things that we want in life, fear tries to strangle out. Faith, joy, hope, love. What do you consider a life well lived? Uh, When you think of a life that brings fulfillment and contentment and happiness, I guarantee you there's faith, joy, hope, and love. And the one thing that will work against all of those things is fear. Uh, Fear leaves us without a vision for the future because all that we can think about is what is right in front of us because 
That's how fear works. But here's the thing, fear can distort reality. And the thing that we think that we can see in front of us is not what we see at all because it's a reality that doesn't even exist. I can remember being a kid and uh, you know how childhood fears go. I can remember uh, leaving my house to go to my grandparents' house, which was close by, but I was convinced as a kid that somebody lived at the corner of my house, not really lived, but just kind of hung out there at night. And so whenever I would step out onto the front deck of my house, I would always look to the left corner, not the right corner, but the left corner. And I would always look to the left corner. And and at times I thought I could see the outline of the guy who hung out at the corner of my house after the sun went down. And so I would look and I would just wait for the moment and then I would run like the wind. And I would get to my grandparents and I wouldn't stop until I got into my grandmother's kitchen. And I look back now and it's just so funny. And I can see my own kids doing things like that. But as we grow older, our fears become more sophisticated. When we become adults, we don't stop fearing. Our fears just get more sophisticated. So we fear the unknown. We fear, we fear calamity. Uh, we fear getting sick or losing our job or rejection or criticism or failing. Uh, as parents, we can even fear our children. And then there's always that inescapable fear of death. And, and here's the thing I want you to think about. Whenever we give in to fear, we give up our potential. When you give in to fear, you give up your potential. When I give in to fear, I give up my potential. Uh, if you fear the unknown, uh, you'll never take risks. And if you never take risks, you're never going to understand what your full potential is. If you fear calamity, you're always going to be sitting around and, and just waiting for the next disaster. If you fear people, you're going to make wrong decisions for crazy reasons. If you fear rejection, you're never going to get close enough to people to get rejected. If you, if you fear failing, you're always going to just never try anything hard. If you fear criticism, you're always going to play it safe. If you're a mom or a dad and you fear your children, then you're going to forfeit your influence. And, and if you fear death... Uh, perhaps you just stop living all together in hopes of avoiding death. Whenever you give in to fear, and whenever we give in to fear, we always give up our potential. Fear is insidious. It undermines the quality and the direction of our futures. And I don't want you to fear. And I don't want to fear. And I don't want you to be a slave to fear. And I don't want to be a slave to fear. But here's the thing. You have to own your fear before you can disown your fear. If you're not willing to own your fear, you can never disown it. And here's the kicker of all kickers. Most of us are too afraid to admit that we are afraid. We're just too afraid to admit that we are afraid. What will they say? What will they think? That's silly. That's dumb. But but here's something else I want you to think about. If we ignore our fear sooner or later, we will not be able to ignore the consequences that fear brought into our lives and how it affected relationships and career and our health and our emotional well-being and most of all, our faith, because here's how fear works against our faith. Fear inspires us to distrust God. That's how it works spiritually. That's how it works with faith. Yes, fear can undermine all the other areas of your life, but we can talk about that another time, but fear is actively right now working against our faith. Now, fear is having faith that God can't and God won't. Uh, that's how fear works. That's what fear is. Fear is actually a different type of faith. It's, it's faith that it won't work out. Fear is having faith that God can't or God won't. Faith, however, is believing that God can, and even if he doesn't, I'm still going to be okay. That's the type of faith that we all want. That's the type of faith that we all are hoping for when the lights go out, when life gets hard, when God seemingly goes silent, 
when the pain knocks at our door, when the bad news happens in our family, that's the type of faith that we want. The faith that says God can, God may not, but either way I'm going to be okay. Well, that's the type of faith that we find in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we are encouraged and invited to see things differently, to see things with a different perspective, a faith that broadens our perspective, a faith that allows us to see more than the average person is able to see. That's the type of faith that we find in Psalm 23. It's a faith that begins to see life incredibly different. It sees life different than fear. Faith causes us to see what fear can't see. And so I want you to hear the words again to Psalm 23. And I know that we've been in this study for a few weeks and hopefully you've been reading these words on your own. Hopefully maybe you're memorizing these words, you're quoting these words back to you because these are words that never grow old, nor should they. Because every time that we read around every corner with every word, with every idea, we're introduced to a new, a new truth about God, something about life, something about ourselves. And the further we dive into this psalm, the more that we understand about the things that matter most. So listen to what David said. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He takes me to the places where I can feed. He leads me beside quiet waters because he knows that I don't want to drink in fear. And then he restores or refreshes my soul. Now, time out because I wanted to say this for the past two weeks and I didn't. Our generation is talking a lot about rest. Make sure you take all your vacation. Make sure you rest on the weekends. Make sure you're not overextending yourself. Reserve margin. Don't get physically exhausted. But here's the thing I want you to think about. You will never enjoy physical rest to its full potential until your soul is at rest. Until he restores your soul. Because you can take off and you can lay on the couch for weeks at a time and you can go to the lake for days at a time and you can just do nothing for the rest of your life. But if your soul is at war with itself, you will never feel the rest that you long for. And so he refreshes or he restores, he renews our soul. And then it says he guides me along the right paths. And if there's right path, then there's must, there must be a wrong path. And so he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. So we see the picture, sheep are full, they're fulfilled, they're satisfied, they lack nothing, they need nothing, they want nothing. They have been given green pastures, they have quiet waters, and now their soul is renewed and restored. And then what does the shepherd do? He leads them away. He leads them away from the green pastures, the quiet waters, and the place where he restored their soul. And he leads them along right paths. And sometimes those paths are not the paths that we would choose for ourselves. But it is the path that the shepherd will choose for us. And so as we come out of this verse, we now come into the very middle of this song that David is writing. And all of a sudden, at the middle of this psalm, the tone and the scene changes entirely. No more fertile slopes, no more green pastures, no more bubbling brooks. All of a sudden, we are introduced to the reality of the deepest, darkest valley. But yet, the good shepherd is leading the way. The good shepherd that can be trusted is leading the way into this deep, dark valley. And it is the right path. It is the right path because the shepherd knows the way and the shepherd is showing the way. But the scenery of the valley is fearful and the dangers are many. And so as David thinks about this whole scene, 
He, he writes what has become one of the most famous lines in all of human literature. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you and I probably grew up with a version that said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And here, here's what I want you not to miss. If you have your Bible open, hopefully you do. Maybe you're using your digital version. Maybe you're taking notes on your phone. Maybe you've got a pen. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. The shepherd is leading the sheep into dark places. The good shepherd is leading the sheep into a valley. He's leading the sheep into a place that seems scary, that evokes the potential for fear. And so as David thinks about this, he's not using this idea of the darkest valley as a poetic device. He's thinking about a real place where a real shepherd would lead real sheep. Perhaps David's thinking about when he was a shepherd as a teenager to his father Jesse's sheep, maybe he's thinking about the trails that he would have to take his sheep on from Judea down into either the fertile you know, fields of the Jordan River Valley or at times he would lead them from Judea up to the heights of Galilee. And he's thinking about the trails and the caverns and the gorges that he would have to travel in order to move the sheep to where the sheep needed to be. And David knew that those paths were not easy, but he also knew that those were the right paths to lead those sheep on. So there would be many canyons that would have to be threaded and some of them deep and some of them steep. Some of them would be infested with thieves and predators because there were caves and there was the threat of flash flood. There was the, you know, so many dangers that existed along these paths that shepherds would take their sheep on. And so the question would be, why would a shepherd lead his sheep into the deepest, darkest valley? Why would he lead them into places that seemed dangerous? Why would he do that? Well, early in the year, Sheep, you know, the flocks would graze, you know, in the lowlands. But as summer approached, and as you would come out of spring and into summer, the sun would melt the snow-capped mountains. And as the snow melted, it uncovered fresh, rich, new vegetation that had been waiting for the snow to dissipate. And so shepherds knew that if left in one place for too long, these sheep would overgraze to their own detriment. But now with the highlands ready to be grazed. The shepherd knew that he would take his sheep from the lowlands up to the mountains, and that's where they would spend this next season. And so what would he do? The shepherd would have to take them through the valley to get them to the mountaintop. And to get to the mountaintop, you had to go through the valley that was littered with canyons, filled with dangerous paths, Dilled, you know, that was filled with predators and perhaps thieves. There were cliffs. There were uncertainties. It was dark. It was unfamiliar. It was difficult. And that's the picture that David is painting of a good shepherd, a shepherd that can be trusted, a shepherd that knows the right way, a shepherd who is leading his sheep into the darkest valleys, into a place that seems scary. And so David says, just think about that for a moment. Now imagine he just lets that hang there for us all just to kind of put a hook into and to think about it for just a moment of a shepherd who leads them away from green pastures and quiet waters where he restored their soul and now he takes them into the darkest valley. Now, a lot of Bible scholars believe that the actual place that David is picturing as he writes Psalm 23 is a gorge known as Wadi Kelt. Uh, It was located near Bethlehem and David most likely used Wadi Kelt 
as the pathway to take his father's sheep from Judea down to the Jordan River Valley or up into Galilee. Here is a picture of Wadi Khaled, and you can just see how barren this is, you know, the landscape. You can see down here in the gorge that there's all these caves. You can see how down in the lowest part that it would be, you know, ripe for flash flooding, you know, just a little bit of water could be very deadly. And so you get a, get a glimpse of what David is probably thinking about when he thinks about how the shepherd is leading his sheep down into the darkest valley. We'll get a little bit closer and show you what it looks like down in the bottom. And so down here, you, you've got the very bottom of things and you have caves and canyons and pathways. And it's not the easiest terrain and it's not the most scenic terrain and it's not the most beautiful place to be. And at night, it's the darkest of darkest places and there's predators down here and there's thieves in wait down in there. And David says, this is where the shepherd leads his sheep. He takes them through the valley, he takes them through the darkest valley to get them to the mountaintop that he's trying to get them to. Now, just something to think about, and we'll come back to it in a few minutes, but Jesus most likely traveled this area to get from Galilee down to Jerusalem because he would travel from Galilee down to Jerusalem quite often. And so Jesus probably walked through some of these paths. Also, one of Jesus' most famous stories, the story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus talked about how the Good Samaritan came upon a guy who had been robbed and left for dead by thieves and bandits, uh, he was picturing this road, which also went into Jericho, and people would travel this dangerous road, which was known as the Way of Blood, or the Bloody Trail. And so when Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan and the guy who was robbed and beaten and left for dead, He's talking about one of these roads within Wadi Kelt. So, as you've got the idea of what it looks like, listen to the words again. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. And so David, he's doing so many things here, and we could talk about this forever, but we're not going to. But he's conceding that dark valleys, and sometimes the darkest of valleys, is an inevitable part of life. He's also showing us that Psalm 23 is not a static picture. It's a life journey. It's a seasonal journey through life. It it takes in all the things that make up your life and all the things that make up my life. He's reminding us that good shepherds at times lead their sheep into places that are rough and risky. It's not a good shepherd that always leads his flock away from what's rough and what's risky. No, A good shepherd will lead his sheep into places that are both rough and risky. It is a necessary journey, and the good shepherd knows it. He knows that the sheep are going to be better for it. They're going to be stronger for it. And he knows that before they can get to the mountain, they have to go through the valley. And so this is all a picture of life and all of its difficulties and all of its pain and all of its problems and its challenges and its trouble and its loneliness and addictions and marital distress and depression and disease and discouragement and the older years and the challenges that come with it. And eventually, death. It's, it's a picture of all of those things. And it's an also a vivid reminder and a, a very important reminder for where we are right now in this season of our lives. No matter how much faith you have, you will at some time have to walk through the darkest valley. Adrian Rogers, who's one of my favorite preachers who's been dead for a few years, he would always say, sometimes the people of greatest devotion know the greatest darkness. (laughs) Matter of fact, if you read the scriptures, you know that's true. Joseph, family dysfunction, brother sold him into slavery. 
He was falsely accused, ended up in prison. He knew times of great darkness. He was led by the good shepherd through the darkest of valleys. Job, I mean, everybody knows the story of Job, but yet we find just in these two examples of great men of faith, the, though they walked through the darkest valley, what they may have even called the valley of the shadow of death, they came out on the other side. They came through it. Joseph said the enemy, what he meant for evil, God meant it for good. Job said, when I came out of all of this, I came out like gold that had been tried in the fire. And so these are the pictures that David is painting throughout his words of Psalm 23. So a few observations. Number one, they're walking through something. The sheep are walking through. Valleys don't last forever, right? I mean, that's, that's not deep. You knew that but they're walking through. That's important. This valley that the shepherd has led them to, it's not gonna last forever. They're gonna walk through. Even in verse five of uh, Psalm 23, you can read that on the other side of this valley, their cups are gonna be overflowing. They're gonna be surrounded by goodness and mercy. I mean, things are gonna change. They're going through the darkest place, but on the other side, things are about to change, but they have to walk through the dark place. And so David, I think, is whispering to all of us, or perhaps maybe even shouting to all of us, that what you think you can't endure, God is going to bring you through. Paul called it the momentary affliction. It just lasts for a moment. When you stack it against how big eternity and how long eternity is, this dark valley, this dark season, that, 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 that season of pain or difficulty or discouragement, it was momentary. Peter, he referred to it as a trial that we have to endure for a little while. So we're moving through. They're moving through. Listen, whatever the dark place is that you may be in the middle of, he's leading you through it. He's brought you to it. He's leading you through it. Second thing, they're walking towards something. The shepherd has led them into the darkest place. This is not aimless. This is not without purpose. This is the right path that the shepherd is leading his sheep on. They are leaving where they need to leave and they are heading in the direction that they need to head. They're heading toward new fields, a new green pasture, new fresh water, and there yet again, he will restore their soul. So they're not moving away from something as much as they are moving towards something. Now, perspective is everything. And during all of the past 10 to 12 weeks, you can, you can have the thought or the feeling that maybe God is, is taking you away from something or God's moving you away from something or God's leading you away from something, or you can flip the script. You can think about it differently. You can have the perspective that faith has. This is, you know what? God may be moving me away from something, but more important than that, God is moving me towards something. God is leading me to something. And so when you think about the fact that God may lead you away, but he's leading you to something, it really changes the way you begin to feel about the valley the good shepherd is leading you through. And then the third thing is, they fear nothing. They fear nothing. The good shepherd, he's leading them through the darkest valley, around ravines and cliffs and predators and thieves and the threat of flood and the threat of danger and the threat of really bad things, but yet they fear nothing. They're not afraid. These sheep are following the shepherd that they trust and love. They're not afraid. 
He winds them down the sides of mountains. He finds a path to walk them along a narrow cliff's edge. And they follow. And they are not afraid. They could look around and be afraid, but their eyes are on their shepherd. And they are not afraid. Is there a reason to be afraid? Perhaps so. But are they afraid? No, they're not. David said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Shepherd, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And these sheep, they find comfort and peace and courage in the presence of the shepherd. There's no fear for sheep when the shepherd is near. And the sheep are so trusting of the shepherd, they find safety in his authority. He leads them. He calls out the path. He calls them to follow and they find safety in his authority. They find peace in his power. His rod and his staff, the rod that he uses to fight off predators or thieves and the staff that he uses to rescue them when they get into a thicket or that he reaches out to touch them just to let them know he's there. They find comfort in his power. They find peace in his power. They find safety in his authority. They know that the shepherd knows the way through and they're gonna follow him without fear. That's what the shepherd of Psalm 23 does. That's what our heavenly father, that's what Jesus, our good shepherd does for us. That's what we see all throughout the scriptures. This is what God, the good shepherd, this is what our heavenly father, the good shepherd, that's what he did for Israel. He led them through the Red Sea. He led them through the wilderness. He led them through the years of kingdom. He led them through the years of captivity. He led them through, he was taking them someplace. This is what he did for David through the failure, through the dark days of hiding in caves from Saul. He brought him through. This is what God did in the book of Daniel for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow the knee. They were thrown in the fire. But what did God do? The good shepherd got in the fire with his sheep. And he brought them through. And if he's gonna bring Joseph through and Job and Israel and David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people like Gideon, and all the heroes of faith, will he not bring you through as well? Does it not mean that you can't come through this season of discouragement or this valley of sin or this valley of failure? Have you forgotten that God's grace specializes on bringing us through? That the future, your future, my future, it is as bright as the promises of God. God gave Isaiah a word for all of his people in every age and every generation. And Isaiah said, let me tell you what thus saith the word of the Lord. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. He says, you can trust me to get you through this, whether it's flood or fire. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 66. We went through fire and flood. We went through it. Make no mistake about it. We didn't get caught in the middle of it. We didn't get consumed by it. It didn't burn us and it didn't drown us. We went through fire and flood. 
but you brought us to a place of great abundance. You were taking us someplace. Yes, you led us through the water. Yes, you led us through the fire, but you took us somewhere. You had another field for us. You had more water for us. You had restoration and renewal and strength for us. Psalmist said in another place, the Lord's people may suffer a lot. I love the honesty of the scripture. Don't ever let anybody who carries the mantle of faith tell you that faith means escape from difficulty. That's never been the message of the scripture. The Lord's people may suffer a lot, but, but he will always bring them safely through. You want the New Testament? I could give you a lot, but how about I just give you Peter? Listen to what Peter said. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through. I love how Peter presupposes the persecution. He presupposes the difficulty and the trouble. And he says, you're going through it. Make no mistake, you're not getting hung up in this. You're not gonna get stuck here. This is not cement, this is a path and he's taking you somewhere. You're not camping out here forever. This is a short season. This is a short period. God's taking you through it. You're going through. He says, don't think it's something strange that's happening to you. He says, this has happened in every generation to men and women, great men and women of faith. And the message is whatever you're facing, no matter how hard and difficult or painful or embarrassing, he can lead you through it. No matter how dark the valley is, he can lead you through it. And on the other side of it is abundance. On the other side of it are green pastures, new water, renewal, strength. Last thing back to Wadi Kelt. I told you that that was the path that Jesus probably took many times, but it was absolutely the path that he took on his last trip to Jerusalem. Remember, this is what it looked like. It was daunting, it was scary, it was not easy, it was not pretty. Matthew chapter 18 said that Jesus finished his ministry in Galilee and he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. You've heard that verse before. But in the following chapter in Matthew chapter 19, it says that Jesus headed into the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan. In the following chapter in Matthew chapter 20, it says that Jesus, that he was leaving Jericho and he told his disciples that when I get to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be betrayed. I'm gonna be beaten. I'm gonna be spit upon. I'm gonna be scourged and I'm gonna be crucified, but I'm going to be raised the third day. And he told them that. And verse 29 says, as they left Jericho, they headed out on the road towards Jerusalem. Chapter 21 of Matthew says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Now, don't let me lose you. From here, Jesus entered Jerusalem on Sunday. That one Sunday we call Palm Sunday where he's gonna be crucified on Friday. You say, why are you telling me all of this? Because the only available route that you could travel in those days from Jericho to Jerusalem was through Wadi Kelt, known as the way of blood. Here's what I showed up today to tell you. Jesus has already walked the valley of the shadow of death for you. He's already been through the valley that knows the greatest darkness He came through it, went into Jerusalem. He was crucified on Friday, but God raised him from the dead on Sunday so that you don't ever have to be afraid. So that you would always know that God is for me. God is with me and I will not fear. 
Why don't you just say that out loud where you are right now. Just say it out loud. God is for me. God is with me. And I will not fear. One more time. God is for me. God is with me. And I will not fear no matter what. Because the promise of God is that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Not when the lights go out. Not when the pain comes. Not when cancer comes. Not when the economy tanks. Not when viruses run rampant. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And even when death comes, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to be there to take you through it. Because death for you and death for followers of Jesus is but a shadow. You don't have to fear getting hit by the shadow of a car. You don't have to fear getting hit by the shadow of a locomotive. That's all death is because of Jesus. It's but a shadow that will not hurt you. It cannot touch you. So you can trust. When fear says that God can't and God won't, let faith rise up and say, he can He may not, but I'm okay because he's with me, he's for me, and I'm not going to be afraid no matter what. Your life story is that he's been with you every step of the way. He hasn't left your side, not for one single second. I want you to listen to the words of this song, and I want you to know that this is God whispering in your ear that no matter what the dark valley looks like right now, no matter what the dark valley may look like in the future, he says to you, not for a moment will I leave you. I'm with you. I'm for you. And you don't have to be afraid, no matter what. Listen to the words of this song, and I'll be back in just a moment. Not for one single moment, not a second, has he ever thought about, considered leaving your side. That's the promise of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you no matter what. I'm with you. I'm for you. And you don't have to be afraid of anything in this life or anything in the life to come. You don't have to be afraid no matter what because he's with you. Now, if you're watching right now and you've never placed your faith in Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. Just where you are, you could bow your head. You could pray a prayer in your heart. You could pray it out loud and you could just say something like this, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for raising him from the dead so that I could be forgiven fully freely forever and right now the best way I know how I receive your gift of grace into my life and your promise that you will never leave me and you will never forsake me no matter what I give you my heart I give you my life right now in this moment in this place in Jesus name amen now if you prayed that prayer just now or you have in a week or so that you've been watching or maybe someday this week you got alone and you prayed that prayer. If you've prayed to receive Jesus but you've not told anybody, we would love for you to tell us. You can go to ifollowedjesus.com and you can let us know that you've made a decision to follow Jesus. We're gonna follow up with you and tell you what that journey is gonna look like or perhaps look like for you. So I would encourage you 
to do that. And for everybody else, I would like to take a moment and just pray for you. Pray for you in the season that you're in, that we're all in. Father, you know the darkest valleys that you lead us to, that you lead us through. God, sometimes we don't know what's going on in each other's lives and sometimes we don't know what's happening in each other's hearts and the thoughts of anxiety or fear, but I pray for every person who's watching and the landscape of their life may look different from somebody else's, but God, I just pray that you would give them the assurance and the comfort that comes with knowing that you are with them and for them, even now in this very moment. No matter what life looks like or feels like, you are with them and for them. And they don't have to be afraid, no matter what. In Jesus' name, speak to our hearts comfort and peace and joy that can only come from your promises, I pray, for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for being with us today at the Creek Church Online. Uh, Perhaps you took time in the beginning of the broadcast or throughout the broadcast to take a moment to give. If not, I would encourage you to give generously in this moment. If you believe that the most important thing is to love God and love people and make disciples, well, you have found a good place because that's what our church believes is the most important thing. And we would love for you to take a step of generosity because even though we can't meet physically in this season, the ministry of the church has not been restrained. And so your generosity will absolutely help to change lives. You can follow the directions that are there on the screen beside of me. You can text in, it's safe, it's easy. And I just wanna say thank you Creek Church for being so faithful, so generous. I told you long ago, you were the best people that I've ever had the opportunity to meet. And I still believe that with all of my heart. And I believe it even more during the season that we're in because you have stepped up to the plate and you are making a difference. And only eternity will show us just how big of a difference you are making. Now, before we go, I wanna tell you, we're trying to do our best to stay in touch with you throughout the week on social media. One of the newest things we're doing is called the Creek Midweek. On Wednesdays, I'm doing a few minutes of devotion and encouragement, and I would love for you to join that broadcast on Facebook or Instagram. You can join us on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And I think you'll find those few moments of encouragement helpful, and I believe that you'll be able to find information that you can plug and play immediately in your life. So I hope you have a great day. Don't forget to share our broadcast with someone. Invite them to watch at another time. I will see you back here next week for the Creek Church Online. You have a great day.